How happy are you? Would you say, I'm happy most of the time, when life is going well, or I'm always happy? At least that's what social media shows. Or I'm never happy, and I wish I knew why. Well, maybe privately you think, there's no such thing as being happy. Welcome to the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I know that those questions are really personal, aren't they? Most people really don't like to talk honestly about how happy they are. But you can be sure that we're all trying our hardest to attain it. Do a simple search right now to find the word happiness on Amazon, and you'll see more than 100,000 resources just at your fingertips, all available for delivery tomorrow. Or Google the words happy and happiness, and you'll get millions of answers literally in just a few seconds. Happiness is the obsession of the generations. For some, it's more than riches or fame or power. Happiness has been the chief aim of man. Aristotle called it the chief good, the end toward all other things in which they aim. One commentator concluded that since this hope for happiness has been built into our very nature regardless of the what, where, and how, the desire and quest for happiness will remain with us as long as our race shall last. It's true. You know, God hardwired our DNA with the desire to be happy. And long before the internet and our bookstore shelves were filled with people's quest for happiness, or before philosophers like Aristotle, there lived a man who made his own experiments in the pursuit of happiness. The man was King Solomon. And his results and conclusions have been recorded for us in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And that's where we're going to be today in our study of God's Word with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He called this message, Over the Moon, But Under the Sun. But before that, we've got Greg Harris, our president, who's here to share some of the great stuff happening at Through the Bible. Yeah, and I would say one way to be happy is just be with us on this journey. And you and I know, I mean, we work together quite closely. We're not always happy, you and I. That's true. But I was looking for it. I was driving up here thinking, I'm going to be happy because when we get in the studio, we focus on what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how God is at work. Exactly. And and no matter what's going on in my personal life, I I don't think I've ever come out of one of these. It's you. You just radiate that happiness. There you go. There you go. No, I think it's true, though. We're talking about the things of the Lord, and and we're able to share with other people how God is moving. And, and yeah. even just sharing that encourages you. I mean, it's like yeah. being close, probably a bad analogy, but being close to nuclear radiation, you know, you just yeah. absorb that even though you're just giving it, it out. It, exactly. So as part of our happiness uh, exercise today and joy, we want to discuss three of the many, many fun ways that we're getting more of Dr. McGee's content to people, to new audiences. And what's great is we have a response that correlates with each one of these new ways. So that's cool. This is going to be cool. All right. So let's talk about, well, it's a Sunday today and it's a Sunday sermon day. And today is a sermon that has never been on the air before. And we're going to continue to roll those new sermons that we got out of the vault all year long. Yeah. Now here's a letter from Paula who talked about this on our Facebook page. She says, I rode the Bible bus years ago. Glad it's still moving forward with God's word. I have all of Dr. McGee's commentaries and they are wonderful too. Dr. McGee was the first teacher I ever heard about true Christianity. I used to love the Sunday sermon. Glad to hear you found more. Bring them on. Yes, we are so excited, Steve, about these new sermons and how people are just eating them up. Now, here's another new and exciting way, relatively new, and that's the Minute with McGee. Yep. We've often said Dr. McGee is one of the most quotable people you're ever going to yeah. hear. Yeah. And so we just take those quotes and they mean so much to people. And we're already getting great feedback from stations, from social media. We launched them about a year ago and people are just, again, eating them up. They love them. And if you haven't heard them yet, 
Where can you hear them? Well, you, you can hear them on YouTube. You can hear them on Spotify, oneplace.com. I have an individual podcasting app called uh, Overcast. Yes. And I have uh, Minute with McGee on there. And that is the first podcast I listen to every single day because it's 60 seconds. Right. And it's somewhere between the bathroom and the coffee pot that I can get <laughs> the 60 seconds Minute with McGee going. And if you, Steve is a very organized guy. So I could just see him like, okay, I thought you were going to say brushing your teeth. Yeah, maybe that's a little TMI. Yeah, that, that's all right. That's anyway. okay. But here's a letter we got about Minute with McGee. And it's it's really encouraging. Uh, Gregory from Rhinebeck, New York shares. I had never heard of you guys before last month. I mentioned to a friend at church that I heard the Minute with McGee on WMCA, and he told me he's been on the Bible bus for most of his life. Cool metaphor, by the way. So where have I been? Anyway, thanks for the great intro. I hope others find you too. I want to fast track the five-year study, so I'm going to listen online, but I don't want to miss what you're doing around the world either that you guys talk about before the programs. So what's the best way? We're studying Proverbs now. I'm eating it up. Okay, Gregory, let me give you a tip. Here's what you do. You download our app. It's uh, Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And if you listen to the dailies there, and you can download those in advance, you will hear, granted, it's sometimes outdated if you're going to go back or you're going to go forward and binge watch it maybe as old as five years, but you will still hear us talking every day yes. as opposed to just downloading the individual sermons. Excellent advice. And Steve, we have just enough time to listen to One Minute with McGee so you can get a taste if you've never heard it before. Ready for some good news? Here's Through the Bible. We're simply to trust God. While we trust, God can work. Worry prevents him from doing anything for us. If our minds are distracted and our hearts are distressed, if the darkness that overshadows us strikes terror to us, if we run hither and yon in a vain effort to find some way of escape out of a dark place of trial where divine providence has put us, the Lord can do nothing for us. The peace of God must quiet our minds and rest our hearts. We must put our hand into the hand of God like a little child. Get more solid Bible teaching at Through the Bible, ttb.org. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you want to listen to that every day, you can podcast it just like I do. Yes, uh, just like Steve, uh, when you're getting your morning coffee. All right, well, the third way we want to highlight, and there are many other ways you can get through the Bible, but these are just some really exciting, fun ways to get it, are what we call contextualized Bible apps. And right now, uh, we are in 43 languages. And let me just explain what that is. It is a simple app with a Bible in that language. Take a language like uh, Arabic. Mm -hmm. And then it has the teaching of Dr. McGee in the Arabic language. We know that lots of our listening family like to share when they meet someone out and about and say, what language do you speak? Well, you can find these all at ttb.bible. Okay, note that. And what it does is it, it's a page that shows you all of the apps that you can get in these 43 different languages. Yeah, it's really cool. And I like it because it's not overtly branded as through the Bible. Yes. It's people looking for the Bible. And there are people, more people looking for God's word than they're looking for this little ministry. That is correct. And a good example is we launched the Luganda app and we have had downloads in 80, 80, 80 countries yeah. for a language of about 30 million people. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. 
Here's a letter about the apps. Uh, This is Joyce from North Carolina. I love the way she starts this out. I am 91 years young. Thanks to Dr. McGee's teaching, first on the radio and for the last several years on the app. I have been blessed and I'm still being blessed by your instruction from the whole Bible. I don't remember how long I've been on the Bible bus, but I will be on it until my fiery chariot takes me to my heavenly home. I love that. That's great. Thanks for being faithful to Jesus' directive to teach the whole word to the whole world. (laughs) Wow. So encouraging. And, And if you haven't told us your story You know, I bet you smiled when you heard Joyce's story. Well, you need to make some other listeners on the Bible Bus smile, and uh, please share your story with us. Just email us at biblebus at ttb.org. Greg, we're out of time. Could you go ahead and pray for the Sunday sermon, as well as for our TTB listening family around the world? I would love to. Heavenly Father, we are full of joy and, yes, happiness as we reflect on you and what you're doing through your word. And we pray that you would bless those millions around the world that listen in over 250 languages. And that that alone is just cause to rejoice and praise you that you are reaching people in so many languages. And now bless our hearts and open our hearts as we listen to the Sunday sermon today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon, Over the Moon and Under the Stars, on Through the Bible. Lunar is the name of the moon. It gets that name from Luna, the moon goddess of Roman mythology. And from this word we get the word lunatic, because the ancients thought that madness came from the moon. That was because of the fact of what young men fed the young ladies out in the moonlight. But there is such a thing, I guess, as moon madness. There's one thing for sure, this scientific age is making the mythology of the Romans a fact today. There is moon madness. Now, I'm not in a position as a poor creature to evaluate this colossal effort or praise the wisdom of the folly of it. But this morning, I want to put the microscope of the Word of God down on modern man. And since the Word of God is both a microscope and a telescope, then we want to pick up the telescope and look out into space and put the two together. Solomon wrote three books. I probably, to be more accurate, should say that he wrote two books and a love song. The book of Proverbs, you have gems of wisdom. In the book of Ecclesiastes, you have globules of folly. And in the Song of Solomon, you have love. And Solomon was an expert in all three of these fields. In the book of Proverbs, there's the green light on the highway. In the book of Ecclesiastes, there is the red light on the highway of life. Solomon was the wisest man according to the wisdom of the world. No man has ever exceeded him. Yet no man ever played the fool more thoroughly than he played it. He's the riddle of Revelation. He's the paradox of Scripture. He was at the same time the wisest man and the biggest fool that ever lived. And the book of Ecclesiastes is that side that reveals the foolishness of the man. Now, this book is an unusual book. 
It is the Alice in, in Wonderland of the Bible, or probably I should say it's Solomon in Disneyland. He tried all of the rides of life, and Ecclesiastes has been called the dramatic autobiography of the life of Solomon when he got away from God. And that's what you have in this book. It's life without God. And the key to it is this oft-repeated phrase, under the sun. Everything is under the sun. God's been pretty much left out of the picture here, if you please. Here is a man who's walking and talking under the sun. And that word or that phrase is repeated 29 times. It's an experiment that Solomon made to squeeze the juice of life out of the dry rocks of this mundane existence here upon this earth. And this book is limited and it's circumscribed by this life only. Everything is under the sun. Heaven is not in view at all. It is here and now and not the hereafter. It is the temporal and not the eternal. It is the material and not the spiritual that's in view. He's talking about phenomena and not noumena at all. To use our modern-day expression, he lived it up. And I mean he lived it up. He tasted life. All that it has to offer, from its pleasures to its philosophy, and candidly it left a dark brown taste in his mouth. He indulged every appetite. He satisfied every hunger. He slacked every thirst. He satiated every desire. Found out that it was vanity. It was vain. He never became an atheist. You need to be careful when you read this book. He did become a pessimist. And here is where I disagree with most of the expositors because most of the expositors do not think Solomon became a pessimist. I say he did. And this is the book that all of the skeptics of the past have gone to. Schopenhauer went to this book for his philosophy of pessimism. Uh, Voltaire, Volney, and modern-day uh, pessimists and, and uh, skeptics go to the book. And it's interesting that most of the cults today go to this book here. This book is not a book, my beloved, that should stand by itself. It should be looked at in the light of Scripture. Therefore, when we're talking about over the moon and under the sun, we're going to find out we'll have to move even farther than that. Now, the result of this experiment, for it was an experiment that he made under the sun, it led to just one end, and that was vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Thackeray, the novelist, who was a wonderful Christian, by the way, he said that he wrote his book, Vanity Fair, on this book here, to demonstrate that life apart from God, and he took play fair in London of his day. And by the way, his little Becky in Vanity Fair it just happens to be the first Christine Keller. Uh, she was the girl that was out for all she could get. 
And this man, when he wrote that story of the little lives of those little people living apart from God, he revealed that it's all vanity. And when he comes to the end of the book with majestic and the irony of genius, Thackeray says, let's take our little puppets, put them back in the box. They've played their part. That's all there is to it. Life for them was right down here upon this earth and nowhere else. And nothing is as unsatisfactory as life down here apart from God. Now let's note some of the experiments, and I can only take a few of them, that this man made. Solomon tried many, and the very interesting thing is that he actually tried science. And you find here in verse 4, he says, uh, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Life is transitory. He looked out at the physical things of this universe, and he studied them. He wrote, we are told, about trees and rocks and animals. This man was quite an authority in his day. He says as he studied nature, he noticed that the life of man is very transitory. That, uh, as James puts it, it's a mist on a mountainside that appears for a moment and driven away by the oncoming sun. Someone has put it like this. A man's life consists of tender teens, teachable twenties, tireless thirties, fiery forties, forcible fifties, serious sixties, sacred seventies, aching eighties, shortening breath, dog, the sob, God. That's the story of man, if you please. Life is transitory, and, and he noted that down here. And then something else. Not only was it transitory, but as you noted these things, there is a boring repetition. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. There is a weariness that is in connection with nature, and there's absolutely no satisfaction of whatsoever to be found in this life when it's lived by itself apart from God. And he continued, the thing that hath been, it's that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there's no new thing under the sun. Now, there are those that would disagree with that, but actually, science does not solve the problems of life, although we worship science today. It actually creates problems. There have been more inventions and new gadgets in this century than all the history of man put together. Let me give an illustration. I think this will be a very practical one for some of us. Have you ever been on one of our multi-million dollar freeways, the finest demonstration of scientific engineering genius that man has ever come up with? Have you been there eight o'clock in the morning, sitting in one of these modern 63 Detroit horseless carriages, 
that you can push a button and have heat, you can push another button and have air conditioning, and you've got a telephone and a radio, and you have a gas tank filled with super-duper pep liquid. It has a speedometer that'll register 110 miles per, per hour, and there you sit, isolated in this little scientific marble in a sea of cars just like it, that you're jammed, these cars are jammed four miles ahead of you in your lane, and they're two miles back of you in your lane, and they're too deep on each side. And the only way in the world you could get out of there would be by a helicopter, or if the rapture took place, you'd leave then. That's the only deliverance today from the freeway, if you please. My beloved, the irony of it all, as you sit there, you see a sign that says, speed limit 65 miles, and then it says, do not exceed the speed limit. Do you know who put you there? Science. Science put you there. And all the time you are, you are breathing smog, and that is another product of science, if you please. In the first century, they said, great is Diana of the Ephesians. In this day, they say, great is science of the 20th century. And they all fall down and worship. My beloved, may I say to you that we have a problem today, and the problem is not getting the man on the moon, but it's getting the man who's making the rocket that's going to the moon from his home to the plant to make the rocket that's going to the moon and let him return home when his work is over. That's the biggest problem confronting Los Angeles. It's a scientific problem that has not yet been solved. I had dinner the other evening with a young uh, professor of the University of Wisconsin. He'd married a niece of mine, and I wanted to meet him and wanted to talk with him. And I was interested, actually, he made this very wise young research scientist made only one wise observation during the entire evening, and he said, I'm not interested in going to the moon. There is too much down here that's left to be learned and to be known. Therefore, I'm not concerned about getting to the moon. May I say to you that science does not satisfy and will not satisfy man at all. Solomon tried something else. He tried the pleasure. And by the way, I should say that if you think that there is something new under the sun, will you look at yourself stalled on the freeway? I say to you that the Ethiopian eunuch going across the desert is going to beat you to town. And he has more comforts in his chariot than you have in yours. Really nothing new under the sun. He had no traffic problem whatsoever. And he even could pick up a hitchhiker without having him murder him. In fact, he led him to the Lord, if you please. May I say that man has not progressed near as much as he thinks he has, even through science. Now, Solomon tried pleasure. And will you listen to him? I said in mine heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. 
And he went the limit here, Solomon did. He indulged in sensuality. Now, that would put him in the class of the, of the establishment in Great Britain today, and I think in this country also. In verse 10 he says, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not from my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. It was Huxley who said the greatest tragedy that can happen to any man is to be able to do as he wants to do. Solomon was able to do as he wants to do, even as you are not able to do. Solomon had the wherewithal to do anything that he wanted to do, and he indulged in pleasure. And when he went the very limit, he found out that when it was all over, and that's the reason, he says, I hated life. It was ashes in his hand when the fires had burned down. And it's well for America today to think this over. We are spending today billions of dollars annually for pleasure. Believe me, we're trying to have it easy. In this country today, we're looking for pleasure, if you please, and these things will not, nor do they satisfy the heart at all. Solomon tried it all, and he went the limit. Sensuality, licentiousness. A man had a thousand wives. My friend, think that over for a while. The man said to me, who was having trouble with one, he said, what in the world did that man do? Well, I don't know, but I know that was too many. And it was the thing that, of course, took him away from God. And so that he found out that the things that, that, uh, that bring pleasure are merely temporary. It was the thing that Moses found out, for he had an opportunity, an equal opportunity, that he gave up the pleasures of sin that were just for a season. Solomon found out that the pleasures of sin are just for a season. And Paul speaks of a group of people, and it's a frightful picture, whose God is their belly. How many Christians today find it extremely difficult to come to a midweek service because they have a difficult schedule, they say. They have to get up early, and they just can't stay up after 9 o'clock at night, but they can just go down the, the freeway a little farther and sit till 11 o'clock in Dodger Stadium, and it doesn't bother them a bit. And it doesn't interfere with their work. May I say to you that today America is pleasure-mad, and it's in the hearts and lives of believers today. These things do not satisfy. Then Solomon tried wealth. He found out that wealth does not satisfy either. Listen to his statement. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. And he tried wealth. Believe me, America today is out on that binge also. And we are perfectly willing for our government to continue going in debt because it does mean a temporary and false prosperity. Yes, I have a $1 bill. Here is a $1 bill, and 
If this $1 bill were a $1,000 bill, and I think they're both the same thickness, although I've never had a $1,000 bill, and here is a $1 bill if this was a $1,000 bill, if you want to know what our national debt is, you just keep stacking these one on top of another, and you would go up 660 miles stacking $1,000 bills. That's the way we'll probably have to go to the moon. One and one-fourth trillions of dollars, and I have no notion how much that is today. And it's well as we're spending this and thinking only of pleasure. And here's a statement that was made in July of 1940 by an outstanding Christian layman. Every people satisfied with bread and circuses has fallen into the hands of a Caligula, a Mussolini, a Hitler, or a Stalin. My beloved, we're on that way and on that route today, you may be sure. Now there is another area that Solomon tried, and there are others, but we'll only mention one more. He actually tried religion, if you please. Listen to him. In chapter 5, verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Now, Solomon never became an atheist, but he got a wrong conception of God, and he adopted the same principle that a great many today have adopted. Mark to have as little to do with God as possible. You don't want to get too familiar with him. He, when you go to the house of God, he says, keep quiet, don't commit yourself. It, you, you want to be intellectual, and you wouldn't want to show your emotions. Don't mind showing our emotions and moving picture shows in other places, but never in church show your emotions. Be restrained. Keep as far away from God as possible. Tip your hat to him on Sunday, but you stay on your side of the street and you let him stay on his side of the street. Don't get too close to him. The old modernist, Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, made this statement years ago, and of course this has led to these modern notions folk have today. The religious man must have imaginations of God if God is to be real to him. What a watered-down statement. And Walter Lippmann, the columnist and a very penetrating thinker, although he thinks wrong in many areas, he made this statement, and this was years ago. Listen to this. This is a highly sophisticated idea of God employed by a modern man who'd like to say but cannot say with certainty that there exists a personal God to whom man must accommodate themselves. Same old story, nothing new under the sun. Modern man doing what Solomon did, become religious actually in order to get away from God, not to get to God at all. And it was General Booth of the Salvation Army who years ago made this statement, friends, how it's come true. He says the chief dangers that confront the coming century, and that's our century, is this. Religion without the Holy 
Spirit. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God and heaven without hell. That's the way man wants it today. Everything in this book is considered, you see, in the context of this life. Eternity is not in view. It's merely the externalities and the transitoriness of life. That's the only thing that is in view. It's uh, oblivious to the future, oblivious to eternity. And yet, may I say to you, he makes statements like this. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. And by the way, that's where one of the cults goes to get soul sleep. You'd only look at it in the context in which it's given. It's merely looking at this life as being all. And what is put in the grave is just the body. And this body that's put into the grave well, all bodily functions cease at death. Thinking and memory, all of those things, because we're no longer using this body, but the body is a tent that we live in, and that's all that it is. When I think of the fact that they use this for soul sleep, I always think of one of these humorous epitaphs that you find on tombstones in New England. And here's one of them. They had original poems, you know. Here was one. Here lieth Matthew Hollingshead, who died through cold caught in his head. It brought on fever and rheumatiz, which ended me, for here I is. Well, my beloved, I'm here to tell him that he's not there. What was in the grave was merely a tabernacle that he lived in. And that's all that the writer here is, is saying. Now you begin in this book, for Solomon was one who believed in an afterlife. He, once or twice, he pushes out and looks beyond the skin of this earthly, physical life with all of its externalities. And in the third chapter, verse 21, he says this, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? And then in the twelfth chapter, the seventh verse, he says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. We're merely living in these bodies. Miss, when we die, we move out of the body, and the body that is put in a grave and there's no memory there, it returns back to the earth. But the individual goes yonder, if you please. Goes yonder, the, the believer goes to be with Christ. Now, this is a pessimistic picture that we presented to you. It's pessimistic and it's fatalistic, if you please. But this is the best that man can do apart from God. This is all under the sun. And there's nothing new under the sun. Recently, this statement was made. Science seems to have made God unnecessary. Philosophy seems to have made God impossible. Psychology seems to have made God an illusion. Communism has made him an enemy of mankind. 
capitalism has made him merely a convenient and realistic novelist, use him only to enlarge their vocabulary of profanity. In commerce and trade, what need was there for God or for God's will when we had to learn the glorious economic secret of enlightened self-interest, the art of mass production, the technique of installment selling, and the magic device of watered stock. In international relations, why fret with the primitive idea of God's will when we had a United Nations and an atom bomb plus a time-honored shibboleth about entangling foreign alliances? That's life under the sun. That's the best that man can do. And the materialist today says, life but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. And Hamlet, Shakespeare has him say, all the world is a stage where every man must play his part and mine a sad one. My beloved, there's no gospel in the book of Ecclesiastes, but it does this. It reveals that the man under the sun he can take life and squeeze it like an orange. And he can pursue it in any direction he wants to. But when he's come to the conclusion, he needs the gospel. And he's still a sinner that needs to be saved. That's the message that this book gives, if you please. There's no relief down here. If man gets to the moon, so what? Where's he been? Measure the distance to the moon with the distance to the nearest star. And he hasn't even been to the front porch yet. Gone nowhere. Bible turns the coin over and opens the door. And the child of God, today, this morning, right here, he's in contrast to the man under the sun. Listen to this. In Ephesians, the second chapter, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ. We are the heavenlies. Listen, will you? which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet. My beloved, the child of God this morning is not trying to climb to the moon. He's already past the moon. Far above all principalities and powers, he is this morning in Christ. And the Word of God says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is at the right hand of God. I'm not interested in going to the moon. 
you can cancel my reservation. Because many years ago as a sinner, I came to the Lord Jesus Christ. I received him as my, my Savior from sin. He took me at that time and by his Holy Spirit, he put me in the body of believers and put me on a launching pad. Seated me in the head, even Christ, at God's right hand and says that one of these days he's coming and when he comes he'll lift those that are his own off of this earth and they're not even going to stop at the moon. You're going to have to look fast as you, if you see it when you go by. My beloved, taken out yonder to meet him, the Savior, far above all principalities and powers. And the child of God sees more than the externalities of this life and the materialism that is swamping people today and taking the sap and the juice out of life today. Because he knows he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's no memory down there of that physical body if that's all you're taking care of today. If you have an eternal spirit, it's going somewhere. It'll go to heaven or hell. But he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. He said, he that believeth on me shall never die. Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Are you living today like a man under the sun? Are you living today like a son of God? seated in the heaven, far above the moon, far above all principality and power. And you have a hope today. That doesn't mean that you can't use the world. There are pleasures down here. There are philosophies to be learned. They are never an end in themselves. Never. If you this morning had the world in your heart, there would still be a great vacuum there. Only Christ can fill the heart. Augustine, one of the wisest of the past, said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Have you really found today Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Have you tried him today? What a great question. So where does this message find you right now? Have you realized that the things of this world really don't satisfy? You know, maybe like Solomon, you've tried all kinds of different paths to happiness, but you've really found no satisfaction in any of them. You know, it's as true today as it was when Dr. McGee preached this message. You know, the most recent advancements in technology and culture can make you more comfortable, but they can't give your life meaning. Pleasure is good for a season but it doesn't give you purpose. Wealth can buy you anything except happiness. Even religion, although useful to some, can never bring a satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you've tried all this and your heart is still restless, then today is your day to turn to Jesus, a Savior who will satisfy your deepest needs and longing for meaning, for purpose, and happiness. You know, you can learn more at ttb.org when you search for How Can I Know God? Or just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll drop a few resources in the mail to you. 
And for more great teaching by Dr. McGee in Ecclesiastes, be sure to hop aboard the Bible bus for a daily dose of Through the Bible. Now as we go, I'm Steve Schwetz praying 2 Timothy 4.22, that the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit and grace be with you until we meet again. Join us each weekday for our five-year daily study through the whole Word of God. Check for times on this station or look for Through the Bible in your favorite podcast store and always at ttb.org.